0: Good morning, and welcome to the radio broadcasts of the Brinesburg Missionary Baptist Church. here, Steve. Uh, Everybody stand with us. We're going to sing an old song in a new way. This is Nothing But the Blood. This is our worship song for this morning. Follow along. It's pretty fun. What can
1: wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? What can cleanse me from within? Nothing but the blood. sin atone not the good that i have done but by your grace this war is won nothing but the blood
0: We pray for the message to follow.
2: stained garment that once had clothed my king. A cheap robe of linen no great value did it hold. But when worn by the master it was worth more than A few days before Why this old robe had changed the life Of a tired and helpless woman Who believed with all her might She reached out and touched it With hope to be restored plain old garment was the vesture of the away, Jesus my Savior I met, oh, what a tender, compassionate friend, he met the need of my heart, shadows dispelling with joy, I am telling, he made all the darkness depart, and heaven came down, and glory filled my soul, laid at the cross, the Savior Today, heaven get down and glory filled my soul. Born of a spirit with life from above into God's family divine. Justified fully through Calvary's love. oh what a standing is mine. And the transaction so quickly was made. When as a sinner I came Took the offer of grace He did proffer He Samuel me all oh, praises to name Heaven came down And glory filled my soul When at the cross The Savior made me whole I sins were washed away and my night was turned to day. Heaven came down in glory filled my soul. Now I have a hope that will surely endure after the passing of time. I have a future in heaven for sure there in those mansions of life. And it's because of that wonderful day When at the cross I believed Riches eternal and blessings supernal From his precious hand I received Heaven came down and glory filled my soul When at the cross the Savior made me whole My sins were washed away my night was turned today. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. Amen. You can be seated. Let's turn over to four hundred and forty-seven, page four forty-seven.
0: Today you'll be listening to the message preached by our pastor, brother Brad Walker, during our Sunday morning worship service. May God bless you as you listen to his message.
3: In church this morning, it's a rough when we have to miss because of bad weather. And I'm glad that we can all be back together together this morning. If you will, turn with me to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at verses 26 through 31 this morning as we continue to see Jesus teaching his disciples as he makes his way towards Calvary and he continues to teach them things that they don't even recognize that they don't know. Uh, And so this morning he is teaching them a very important lesson and teaching us as well this morning the very important lesson that anyone can fall. As you're turning there to Mark 14, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, again this morning we thank you. Uh, Thank you for this time of worship, Lord. Uh, We we are a family and we're so glad to be back together again on this Sunday morning as we weren't able to be together for quite uh, some time last week because of the, the snow and the dangerous road conditions. But Lord, we're so thankful to be back together doing what we so desire to do, which is to worship you in spirit and in truth. And so today I just pray that you will stir our hearts. Lord, we've We've had our hearts prepared as as we've lifted up praise to you. We've had our hearts prepared as as we spend this time in prayer, as we've had the opportunity to give as an act of worship. And now, Lord, I pray that you would teach us. Lord, uh, I pray that you would challenge us this morning. It's a very challenging text to us as believers. But also, I know that we've got friends here today that don't yet know you as personal Lord and Savior. Lord, you're working on their heart. Lord, the Holy Spirit, he's doing the work that only he can do. And we recognize that. But, Lord, we pray for a harvest today. Lord, we pray that folks would would hear this message and they would recognize that you're speaking to them. And, Lord, that they might be saved even today. And so, Lord, I recognize that I'm a very weak vessel. And so, Lord, I pray that you would hide me behind the cross, that only you would be seen and only you would be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. No one likes a hypocrite. And people are always pointing fingers at people that they think are hypocrites but I don't know if we recognize it or not but you can see hypocrisy in any forest that you walk into and the reason I say that is in any great forest there are many huge trees trees that seem to just tower over the other trees in that forest and yet still experienced loggers look at what we would think to be a, a tree that is the picture of maturity, that's the, tr- the picture of strength. And, and these experienced loggers will go into a forest and they won't touch those trees. Now, you would think that they would want those because it would seem that they'd have two to three times more wood in them than those other smaller trees, but, but yet an experienced logger looks at it and he, he sees that, that he, he doesn't want that tree and it seems to not make sense to us. After all, that big tree... Would provide so much more, we would think. But the reason that he doesn't cut that tree, the reason he doesn't use that tree, is actually simple. Many of those huge trees are rotten on the inside. They're the kind of trees that raccoons make homes of, they're the kind of trees that in a thunderstorm are the first to topple over. You see, They're the kind of trees that don't really have the strength that we think they have. They're the trees that are hollow inside and thus very weak. And there is an old saying that says that the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And that's true of trees in the forest that are rotten, hollow on the inside, but it's also true of many of us as Christians as well. You see, a lot of those big trees in the forest are like us. We like to think that we have made great strides in our walk of faith, and we, we wouldn't want to admit it, but we often judge others by measuring their lives against the life that we live, and thus we think that we are much, much superior. And, and we know it's true. We, we look at others and we see the things that they do. We, we know the kind of places that they go to. We, we hear the way that, that they talk many times, and and we look at them and we say, well, I, I, would, I would never do that. Well, now we would never own up to it, but we think we're special because of that. Because we've never done what they have done. We act as if we really believe that we are the true standard of faith. The problem, with most, most of us, however, is that we, like those trees that we talked about earlier, are rotten many times on the inside. We're just not what we think we are. We don't live the kind of lives that we like to think that we do. And in truth, we spend our days deceiving ourselves and trying to deceive others around us. We put on the church clothes and oftentimes we put on the church face. But really on the inside, we're much different. And here in Mark chapter 14, verses 26 through 31, Jesus deals with his men. And these are men who saw themselves as the big trees in the Christian forest. You see, if you had asked them, they would have told you that they had sold it all. They had left it all in order to follow Jesus. They would remind you how they had left literally everything, including their families, to follow Him. They would tell you as... They would tell Jesus here that they would never fail him, that they would never forsake him. But Jesus, on the other hand, is about to reveal to them that the truth is is that their hearts are actually very fickle. The verses before us today give us a small taste of the conversation that Jesus had with his men as they walked from Jerusalem down through the Kidron Valley on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And it was during this conversation that Jesus reveals to his men that they would actually all forsake him before that night was over. It was also during the conversation that his men made their adamant declaration that they would never do something like that. If you had come to any of those men and asked them, do you you think you'll ever fail the Lord? They would have looked you square in the eye. And they would probably have pointed their finger and said, never, never will I fail the Lord. They were about to learn the truth that never wasn't nearly as long as they thought it was. These verses remind us that self-righteous hypocrisy and spiritual failure are a possibility for absolutely any and every one of us. These verses teach us that we should live our days with an honest understanding of our true spiritual condition. And these verses teach us that anyone can fall. Notice the truths contained in this text that showcase the danger of thinking that we have arrived spiritually. And so please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Let's look together at Mark 14, beginning there at verse 26 together. And when they had sung a hymn and went out into the Mount of Olives, and Jesus said unto them, All ye shall offend because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day Even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. And likewise also said they all. You may be seated. The first thing that we see here, um, as we look at verse 27, is some prophecies. You see... Jesus and his disciples are on their way to Gethsemane. And when they arrive there, Jesus will pray that great prayer of John, uh, chapter 17. And later he will be arrested and he will be carried away for trial by his enemies. And on the way to Gethsemane, Jesus has some things that he wants to say to these men. Some things that they need to hear, some things that we need to hear. Uh, We need to hear what Jesus has to say to his men because all of these words, all of this teaching... Uh, pertains to our lives as well. And so the first thing that we see is a prophecy of a fall. We see here that Jesus says, "All ye shall be offended because of me this night." Now that word offended means to make to stumble or to fall away. And Jesus is clearly telling his men that they will stumble, they will that they will fall because of him that very night. We get our modern word of scandal from the word translated offended here. And the word uh, is a powerful word. The Lord's disciples would be scandalized by the things that would happen to Jesus that night. Uh, like all Jews, they were offended at the thought of, of anyone dying on a cross, of, of anyone dying by being hung on a tree. And that especially pertained to anyone that they had any acquaintance with. And so the events of that night here, Uh, would cause them to rethink their association with Jesus and their allegiance to him. Before the night ended, every one of those disciples would abandon Jesus out of fear for their very own lives. But also we see here a prophecy of a fulfillment. Jesus tells them that their failure would be a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. Just as the betrayal of Jesus by Judas Iscariot had been a part of the divinely ordained plan of God, so would the disciples' abandonment of Jesus be a fulfillment of prophecy in the Old Testament as well. And so Jesus was their shepherd. And when he was taken away from them, we know that they were quickly lost in their way, that they they didn't know where to turn. They were sheep without a shepherd. And so they wandered from the path of closeness and they strayed further than they ever thought Possible, And so this verse showcases the Lord's omniscience. Uh, we serve a Savior, and He knows all things. And the disciples surely thought that they were close to the Lord and, and, and secure from ever falling away in, in, in closeness of relationship with the Lord. They thought that they would always be right there in right communion with Him. His words were designed to show them that He knew them far better than they knew themselves. And the same is true for each and every one of us here this morning as well. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what we're capable of. He knows the depths of the sin that resides in our hearts. He, he knows how, how powerful the flesh can be. And we deceive ourselves into thinking that because we're saved, that we've reached a place where we will no longer be tempted to fail. No longer be tempted to, to walk away um, from that closeness with the Lord. but we know that that's not the case. We seem to think that others may fail, but we never will. The truth is is it's just the grace of the God that uh, we're not out of God's will and, and even out of church today. It's only by God's grace that we stay as close as we do. It's, it's just the grace of God that keeps us in His will and from, and from moment to moment walking away. It's His grace. And so don't miss that this morning. Don't miss the grace of God and and what what he's doing in our lives. God knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows the problems that you have with the flesh and with temptation. He knows the potential you have to sin. He, He knows the pull that temptation and evil have on each and every one of our lives. And he knows the full possibilities of sin in your life as well. But secondly, this morning, I want you to see some promises Some rich promises that God gives us here in in verse 28. Um, Because on the heels here of of his shocking prophecy, the Lord gives his men some very precious promises. And when Jesus told them that they would forsake him, uh, clearly they're shaken to the core by that kind of a statement. They were upset and they needed something to bring peace to their hearts. And what he said to them next spoke peace into their troubled hearts on that day. And his words still bring peace to us this morning as well. We first see a promise of a resurrection. He says, after I am risen, Jesus has just told his men that he is going to die for their sins, that he's going to the cross. His body is about to be broken. His blood is about to be shed for their sins and for ours. Jesus is on his way to the cross to give his life as a ransom for many. And surely they are startled to hear that Jesus will die, but they are comforted by the promise that he will rise again from the dead. The cross was not our Lord's final stop. It doesn't end at the cross. It begins at the cross. But his disciples didn't understand that just yet. He would die on that cross. He would pay for our sins. He would satisfy all the righteous demands of God towards sin. He would give us life, the innocent for the guilty, so that the lost sinner would have the opportunity to be saved by God's grace. His body would be taken down from that cross. His body would be buried in a borrowed tomb. His body would lie on that ground for three days, and then he would victoriously take his life up once again on that glorious resurrection Sunday. He would not stay in that grave. He would rise in victory. And his resurrection is of supreme importance. You see, if we stop at the cross, then there's no hope. Without the resurrection, there is no hope. And that's what Paul continually is teaching us, the importance of the resurrection. In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, he says, "...who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification." He continues in that line of thinking as he writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20, as he says, Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ not, is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. You see, this is a promise and is a promise that gave hope to the disciples 2,000 years ago, but this is a promise that gives hope to you and and me today. It's a a promise that continues today and throughout all of eternity to give us hope because the resurrection is where we find victory. But also we see a promise of restoration he says i will go before you into galilee jesus has just told them that they are going to forsake him he's told them that they will be scandalized by him and that they will leave him even falling away from him for a time however his words promised them restoration and forgiveness on the other side of their failure that that won't be the end these men would fail god And they would fail God in a big way. They would fail him at the very moment that they should have stood. Peter would deny him, but all would forsake him. And yet Jesus would restore them and he would use them to literally turn the world upside down for the glory of God. He would use 11 men to turn the world upside down for his glory. I can't speak for you, but I know I can speak for, for how I feel. And I do not want to fail the Savior. I don't want to fail my Jesus. He died for me. He saved me. He's called me. And I praise the Lord that he continues to use me. He's blessed me. He's used me and done more in my life than I could ever understand why. His grace has been sufficient for me in every mountaintop and in every valley of my life. His love has literally never wavered. His word has always proven itself to be absolutely true. He has given me everything that I have. I owe him absolute love and devotion in return. I do not want to fail my Jesus, but I know that I have. And I know that I will. I know that I will fail him, and I know that I will continue to fail him until this life is over, because that's part of the human condition. But when I do, he convicts me of my sin. When I do, he chastens me, because he loves me and he desires to draw me back to himself. And when I repent of my sin, and when I return to him, he responds in complete forgiveness and restoration. I will have to face the consequences of my actions. The Bible teaches that time and time again. There are consequences in this world for our actions, but God offers complete forgiveness to those who come back to him, to those who keep short accounts with him and are willing to run back. Thank God for the restoration and forgiveness that he brings into the life of his children. But thirdly, I want you to see there in verses 29 through 31, some pronouncements. In verse 29, we see a denial. When Peter hears the Lord's prophecy, he responds with a clear denial of the Lord's words. Peter says this, he says, these other fellows, they might fall away, but I'm never going to do that. I never will. You can't trust them, but you can trust me, Lord, because you can count on me never failing you, Lord. Lord, you can depend on me. Others might leave you. Others might might forsake you. But I will always be there. Peter's adamant about it. Peter probably believed every word that he spoke to the Lord that night. He believed that in, in the deepest places of his heart and his soul, he believed that he would never fail the Lord. He couldn't see how it could ever happen. He had no intentions of failing the Lord. He did not leave everything in his life behind. He didn't leave his his nets. He didn't leave his family to fail the Lord. He left to follow and to do great things for the Lord, to succeed in ministry. We see in verse 30 a declaration, though, a declaration. When Jesus hears what Peter has to say, he gets real personal with Peter, as he does with us as well. The Lord tells them that before the sun comes up the next morning, that Peter will have denied him three times. He won't have just denied him once. He will have denied him three different times before the sun rises. And as we'll see in a few weeks, that is absolutely exactly what happens. But then in verse 31, we see a debate. Peter here responds... In typical Peter fashion he refuses to listen to what the Lord has to say and he reaffirms his promise to stand with the Lord but this time Peter states that he is even willing to die for the Lord if it comes to that not only will I not fall away but I'm willing to die for you we're told that he makes this assertion more vehemently the phrase means out of measure and can you just imagine Peter in the way that he spoke at that moment? I imagine that he may have had his, had his fists clenched and his, and his jaw was set and his, his eyes were fixed on Jesus. As he said, I will never forsake you. Even if I have to die, I will never forsake you. He believed it with everything within himself. That phrase vehemently means out of measure. The other disciples join in with Peter, and they lift their voices as well. No, it will never happen, Lord. They're they're all trying to correct Jesus, that he has to be wrong, that it could never happen this way. But after that night, they would all back away from their commitment to Jesus to one degree or another. Some would briefly abandon his call on their lives and try to return to their old life. As fishermen, they'd, they'd go back to the only life that they'd known before, which was boats and nets. Regardless of what they believed in their hearts, they would fail Him because they refused to heed His warning and deal honestly with their flesh. These men would all abandon the Lord. They would forsake Him. Only two, only Peter and John, would be there for some of the trial and for the crucifixion. And one of those would conceal his identity out of fear. The rest would be hiding until after His resurrection. So why did their walk with the Lord turn out this way? Why did over three years of intimate communion with Jesus end with them literally abandoning him at the cross? Why did they run away in fear on the very night when they should have stood strong? I think the reasons they failed lie behind all the failures in our lives as well. And so I, I want to suggest some reasons why I think these men's faith failed them at that moment. And as I mentioned these things, take a moment to consider your own heart because it may be that these are some things that have taken root in your life as, as well this morning. The first is pride. They never thought they could fail. Again, they thought that they were those huge trees in the, in, in the Christian forest. They couldn't fail. It could never be them. They believed that they were above all of that. The fact is, the best among us is only one heartbeat away from denying the Lord. Only one step away from the far country and living a life feeding pigs. So pride was the first issue. but The second was self-deception. The disciples had convinced themselves that they loved Jesus more than anything in their lives they were about to find that they still loved themselves much more than they loved the Lord. You're capable of anything. Never let yourself believe that you're not capable of falling away in that close communion with the Lord. We're only one step away. But then thirdly, fear. These men were confident that they would go with Jesus to the place where they said, we will even go with you ...to the death. They were about to be brought face to face with the power of fear. Because death is what it would have taken to have stood that day. Fear has caused many of God's children to back away from their testimony. Fear has caused many to be silent when they should have spoken up. Fear has caused some to fall in with the crowd instead of taking their stand with the Lord... Fear has magnified the power of Satan and minimized the power of Almighty God. Never underestimate the power of fear. Fear is a great motivator. However, we should not fear people. We should not fear Satan. We should not fear demons. If we're going to fear, we should fear the Lord. We should have a holy and righteous fear of God and God alone. And the only reason many people live like they do is because they do not fear God in the way that they should we we want to put God in a box where he's manageable and went where his demands on our lives are small enough that we can handle it and we don't fear God if we feared God we wouldn't go to the places we go we wouldn't speak the way that we speak we wouldn't look at the things that we look at But we don't fear God. But fourthly, ignorance. Ignorance. The disciples were ignorant of the power of Satan and of their own weakness. And so Satan was behind their failure. They thought that they could stand in their own power. They thought that they they had grown to that place where they they were big enough to do it on their own. But such such self-confidence is deadly. We can stand in the evil day, but we must stand in Him And not in our own strength. And so we see this morning that anyone can fall. Anyone. Your pastor, your deacons, your Sunday school teachers, your mom, your dad. The strongest Christian you think you know. Anyone can fall. There are people in this room who never thought that they would be living the life that they're living today. When you were saved, you promised the Lord that you would live for him and that you would be faithful to him that you would be faithful to his house, his word, his call in your life. But now you have little more than a passing acquaintance with the things of God. You don't pray. You don't read your Bible. You don't live for Jesus like you used to. You don't come to church like you know that you should. Sunday school, discipleship, Wednesday night prayer meeting and, and Bible study, those are a thing of the past for you. And you've convinced yourself that it's just old-fashioned, and that's why you're not doing it. And so you've allowed the things of the world to creep in. You never thought it would happen, but it has. And you're doing things and allowing things in your life that would have been off-limits before. What should you do? What should you do when you've stepped away from your first love? Exactly what Jesus told the church at Ephesus to do when they failed him in that same way. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know the works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of thy place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. If you have left your first love, if you find yourself in the far country, or at least on the path heading that way, I want to tell you, you can come home. You can come home to a father with his arms open wide. You can come home to a father who is watching the horizon to see when you just barely come over that he might sprint towards you. Come home. You need to confess your failures. You need to repent of your sins. You need to renew your vow of commitment to the Lord. You need to get right with God. But most importantly, you need to come home. Others have been flirting with things that they know are dangerous. And you know you're headed for trouble and you need to come back to the Father today and ask Him to help you to stay close and to stay clean. You're on that road. You need to turn around and you need to come home. Others have witnessed the fall and failures of believers around them and have said, that'll never be me. I'm glad I would never do that. As you look down your nose at them, be very careful. If you have that attitude, you need to get right with God. You need to repent of sin. If you hold someone else's past over their head just because you haven't dealt with that sin yet, you need to get right with God. It might be you tomorrow. Still others have never been saved. And the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross to make a way of salvation for whosoever will. That means you. If you feel the Lord speaking to your heart today, why would you put it off another day? Why would you put off a relationship with Almighty God who loves you, who sent His Son to die on the cross for you, who rose from the grave in victory so you could have victory? Why would you push it away another day? Come to Him. Be saved. If you'll come to Him today, He will save you, He will cleanse you of all your sin, and He will use you in a powerful way. I wonder, has the Lord spoken to your heart this morning? If he has, please come to him and come to him today. Come to him now. Trust him and let him do his work in your heart and in your life. Yes, anyone can fall. But remember, the Father is inviting you to come home. What Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. And we thank you and we praise you for your great love. Yes, any of us can take steps away from you. Any of us can, can fall out of that right communion, but none of us can fall out of grace. Well, we're thankful that you hold us and you hold us tight. And Lord, you've told us that any of us who do fall out of that right relationship and find ourselves in the far country, that we can come home. And Lord, we're so thankful for that. And we're so thankful for that beautiful picture that you give of of Jesus as he sat there with Peter who had denied him three times and and that picture of of him him reinstating him three different times and allowing him to see that that he would still be used, he had repented of his sin, he was ready to come back, and Jesus is saying, I'm ready to have you. And Lord, that's the same, same message you have for us today. Lord, I failed. My brothers and sisters, they have failed. But Lord, you still desire to use us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have an opportunity this morning to see many people come to this altar and just recognize that we can come home and that we can be used by you. Others who may need to join this church family, I pray that they would come and and they would recognize that you want to use them and and their talents and their gifts and and their abilities. And, Lord, I pray that they would join. Lord, some need to be saved today. Lord, others that need to make other decisions. Lord, I just pray that you would move in our hearts during this time of invitation, during this time of commitment. Lord, I pray that we would be obedient to what you've called us to do. Lord, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to our broadcast today from Bryansburg Missionary Baptist Church. If you need spiritual help with the relationship with the Lord, please call 270-527-3757. Also, we would like to invite you to attend our services. On Sunday morning, Sunday school begins at 10 a.m., and our worship service is at 11 a.m. On Sunday evening, discipleship training begins at 5 p.m., with our worship service at 6 p.m. You may also view our Sunday worship services live on Mediacom Inspiration Channel 93. On Wednesday night, our worship service begins at 7 p.m. Once again, thanks for listening. And may God bless you and your family.